Why do women play such an important role in Ukrainian culture? How is Ukrainian feminist emancipation connects with the national emancipation? Who are the female authors you definitely should know? You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, Ukrainian scholar and journalist who is heading international department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote majority of your donations to help Ukrainian defenders and people affected by this war. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So indeed, why do you think that, uh, and do you agree with me if I if I tell you that women indeed play a, an important, very important role in Ukrainian culture? Yes, indeed. This is a strange thing about Ukrainian culture. When you look back to to classical period, to what we, to nineteenth century, you will easily see that among these founding fathers, as in every nation has these founding fathers, you know, in literature, in in uh, for example, you'll find Lesya Ukrainka. We recorded a special. You you will find a founding mother. Mother, right? Right. So uh, we recorded a separate podcast about Lesya Ukrainka. So we address our audience to this podcast. Do listen to this podcast about Lesya Ukrainka. She's the founding mother of Ukrainian literature. And we have three three prominent uh, prominent Ukrainian writers in 19th century. This is, first of all, Tara Shevchenko. This is also Ivan Franko. But between them, you have Lesya Ukrainka. And we, we we have plenty of arguments to say today that maybe Lesya Ukrainka is in, 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 in some way, I would not say more brilliant, but she represents a number of things which are important for, for Ukrainian literature. And if you look back, even for, to further periods, you'll see that from the very beginning of the Ukrainian state, from Kiev and Rus, you'll see important women there, the political leaders like Nahinya Olha, right, for example, some others, which were on the equal uh, equal level with men. And in political leadership, we had some women, important one, important, several important women, and in culture as well. When we look back, we'll see Markovovchok, we'll see Olga Kobylanska, in prominent feminist, feminist. Uh, we'll see some other names. And the question is, maybe the simplest answer, so and we'll discuss it later. My answer would be that Ukrainian political culture and culture itself this is about horizontal links, you know, between between men and women, between power and people, between between be, between different communities, and not uh, this vertical system we we uh, we observe in Russia. Yeah, if if we if we talking about uh, well, there are certain certain stereotypes in the nineteenth century. I like sometimes rereading the books of the nineteenth century because. You have this fashion for classifying everything, for, for giving labels to everything, which 
of course, then the 20th century, the critical 20th century, hates about the 19th century when you, for example, give a label to a nation, etc. But I think that in the 20th century, we went a little bit too far of this delabeling everything because suddenly it's just we mixed everything up and, and said no definition is possible. So sometimes it's sobering to look back in the 19th century and read some of these simplistic, maybe simplistic labels uh, in which there is certain truth in this. So I'm referring to a label g- given by uh, Leopold von Zachermanzoch, uh, a very interesting writer born in Lviv. Uh, in, at that time it was called, uh, in German-speaking world, Lemberg, was one of the most important cities of the Habsburg Empire, the, the capital of Halicina of Galicia. Uh, Zacher Mazoch is obviously known uh, as a, not as the founding father of masochism, but uh, as a person whose name was given to masochism by Kraft Ebbing, a, a German-Austrian psychiat- psychiatrist of early 20th century. Uh, so Mazoch is famous for his female uh, images, right? We all know them. Among them, there are... Uh, there are, for example, there is, for example, the Princess Olga. He has a, a story about uh, about her, and of course, his f- female images are actually the images of power. So this is another very interesting topic: how a uh, a German-speaking writer from Habsburg, uh, looking at the Eastern Europe, at Ukraine and Russia, was saying that look, this is where power and violence are located, and they are female. They have the uh, they, they have the female characters, primarily in Zachar Mazok, female characters who are making this violence. But he has a quote, uh, he has a definition of relations between men and women, uh, between, he compares Russians, Poles, and um, and Ukrainians, uh, whom he calls at the time Klein Russisch, of course, so uh, the, the little uh, Russians. And he says... Uh, among Russians, women is absolutely subordinate to men. Among uh, Poles, a woman can be a dominant over men, but among Ukrainians, they're equal. And uh, he says, Ukrainian, while Polish women are aristocrats and uh, Russian women are more like in the slavery conditions, Ukrainian women are democrats, democratic in their relations to men. So this is a, a maybe very interesting classification of the 19th century about a nation which didn't have its statehood at yes. the time. Yes, indeed. And when we when we see what um, what Lesa Ukrainka represents for Ukrainian culture, it represents this intellectual tradition in the Ukrainian culture, while Tarashevchenko, for example, he represents the people, you know, that his son of a poor family and all that stuff. So aristocratic Lesa Ukrainka, but at the same time, I know another this la- another label stating that uh, Lesa Ukrainka is the only man in Ukrainian literature, right? This uh, famous joke so uh, comparing her to a man be- because of her intelligence we we talked a lot about her capacity to learn foreign languages to to know many literary traditions and to be a really prominent not only writer but also scholar right so um this is about equality. This is about horizontal t- ties and links in the society. And, and let us reflect a little bit uh, why uh, each particular author in the 19th century was was important and was welcomed by Ukrainian culture. For example, on Lesya Ukrainka, this is 
a bunch of studies made by Ukrainian current authors, uh, feminist authors uh, in, in literary studies like Oksana Zabushko, like Vira Heva, like Tamara Hunderova and others. Solomia Pavlichka. Solomia Pavlichka. And what they were doing, I think, starting from Solomia Pavlichka precisely, they were saying that, look, uh, female uh, fight for emancipation and national Ukrainian fight for emancipation, there were two things that went together in these authors. So they were uh, speaking from the uh, the group which was um, kind of a deprivilegized, if I may say, or marginalized in two ways, as a Ukrainian and as a woman. And therefore, maybe this sensitivity and this double fight for being Ukrainian and for being a woman is uh, is uh, so much important. So it's it's double fight for rights. Will you agree with that? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, we don't all know these texts of Vira Geva, which are very stated that explicitly. This is even not even double, but even a triple fight. Because we'll add here, this is not so explicit with Lesia Ukrinka, but even more explicit with Olga Kobelanska. This fight between rural culture and urban modern culture between the right of people not to be linked to a to a community you are you were born to yeah not 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 to belong to a family you were born to to live in a big city to live a life which is not pre, pre, um, uh, without no no uh, known scenario you know just invent your life but this is later a little bit later in in the early 20th century so triple fight of other women as a Ukrainian woman and as a woman which is modern woman, new woman. So this is a new... The Lesi Ukrainka is nothing but this, not not at all this traditional image of Ukrainian woman like Berehinya. I don't know how you translate it into English. So somebody who who protects her, somebody... By the way, by the way, in San Sofia we have Oranta. We have don't have uh, Jesus Christ, but we have Oranta, uh, just, just who protects the city. Well, the, the the image of Sophia, Sophia. the uh, the wisdom of God, which is, of course, in many uh, many churches was feminized. This is about, I think, the fund, what is fundamental here is this idea of domination, be it male, male domination or you know, in empire domination and all kind of domination. So, so this is emancipation process which come all together, right? I would like to come back to Markovovchok. Uh, we have in her uh, in in her character also a, a personage which is uh, who has taken a a male uh, nom de plume, right? Name pseudonym. Markovovchok sounds more like a, a a male name, and this is the same story which we had almost in the same decades, a decade before actually in in Britain with uh, Bronte sisters. Uh, who who published their poems under the name of Bells, and mm-hmm. it was uh, like written by men. Now, of course, in France we have with uh, uh, Aur- uh, Aurore du Devin, which she, she was called uh, the Georges Sand, and and other uh, other cases as well. So uh, we we might say that this was kind of a typical thing, more or less typical thing. Lesio Krinka did not need to go for. For actually a a male a nom de plume, but why Markovovchok was so important in the late fifties, eighteen fifties? She published her 
people's tales or popular tales, народні оповідання. I think that the revolution that she made was a revolution of sensitivity. Not there was of course the revolution of ethnography. So she was one of the first uh, prose writers who were collecting stories from the people uh, and uh, and presenting them and it was like literature coming from from below. This was a grassroots a grassroots literature, but at the same time it was very very sensitive, very very emotional. But and if I if I tell you that Well, Ukrainian literature, for example, Taras Shevchenko accepted her so warmly because of this new sensitivity. Yes, maybe this is a part of an argument, but don't forget that Markovchuk was Russian. She was a 70-year-old girl when she married uh, Markovich, a Ukrainian writer and ethnographer, and she started to, to write shortly, uh, if I'm not mistaken, one or two years after this marriage, right? So this may be this, just simply not different mentality. She switched the languages, so she switched to Ukrainian, but she was still in a kind of, maybe in this idea, and she was already in this European context, maybe she knew about George Sand and about, about uh, Sisters Bronte, It was a habit just to change, to have more chances to get published. So maybe she was referring to this European tradition in a way. Because if you compare to Lesia Ukrainka, Lesia Ukrainka didn't need that. Why? Because her mother was already a writer. And in this family of Olena Pchilka and her husband, she was a, a, a leader in any case. So she was a leader in this family. She was already a feminist writer. So a generation before Lesia Ukrainka, she was already a feminist writer not only known for her texts, but also for her educational activity. In Hromada, she was teaching Ukrainian, so spreading Ukrainian language and Ukrainian literature, and the feminist idea, it came all alone, all together. So maybe... Let's, let's, also, let's also recall uh, uh, the contemporary of Marko Ovchok and in some way her competitor, who was Hanna Barvinok, who was a a wife of Pantelemon Kulish, one of the great Ukrainian writers and ethnographers and historians. She's also an interesting figure in this uh, female pantheon of the Ukrainian literature. Uh, let's talk about avant-garde. In avant-garde art, there are also very important figures like Alexandra Exter, like Sonia Delaunay, like some others, right? Yes, exactly. So women are also present there. Uh, Sonia Delaunay, we know her as a French artist, but uh, we will never forget that she was born in Odessa. She lived for first years of her childhood here until she was five years old. Then she moved to, to Russia. And then when she was 18 years old, she moved first to Germany and then to France. And yes, and then, yes, indeed. So she's she was recalling Ukraine as her motherhood in her autobiography, but also even more important is that she, she said, stated clearly, explicitly in her autobiography that the colors of Ukraine, colors of Ukrainian wedding gave her this inspiration for what she was doing. So just a, not, a, not quite an original biography, right? She moved abroad um, as a young girl. She was 18 years old and she was successful enough Uh, she married. It was a fictional marriage, by the way, a little bit forced by her family. Just a formal marriage, just to be to 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 benefit from this liberty 
And then she married the second marriage to Robert Delaunay and they became real partners. And she was a leader in this couple in a way because he was, he is a prominent painter as well. But she made a revolution because she transported this simultaneism not only to paintings, but also to textile, to, to dressings, to, to fashion. And she became a real leader of the whole whole simultaneism movement. So in a way, she was a leader and also a manager. She was a go- also a good manager, what she was doing. She And she was, if, if I'm not mistaken, the first woman in French history to receive uh, Légion d'honneur um, distinction. And her, uh, her exhi- exhibition took place in Louvre while she was still alive, which is, seems to be quite a rare thing in France. Alexandra Exter, also known for her, by the way, for her work for theatre, for her decorations, for her costumes. This is all the avant-garde art, uh, very, very interesting visually, very, very bright visually. And um, this is something that we rediscover uh, over several decades now in Ukraine, right? Yes. And maybe let's step aside and don't forget about Olga Kobolanska. Olga Kobolanska born in at that time it was Romania and then she lived a big part of her life. It was Habsburg Empire. Yeah, Habsburg Empire uh, now in Romania. And she lived the most of her life in Chernivtsi. She was born to a Polish and German German speaking uh, family indeed and so she was she started started to write in German and that is why she was quite close to German culture she was fond of Friedrich Nietzsche a German philosopher and she invented this idea of female Zarathustra female uh, how you say it Surom um, Superman, Superman, superhuman, Su- women, well, super, superwoman, right? This elaborating these images, female characters in her prose, uh, like for example her prose text "Vals Melancolique" and some others. These texts were about female friendship, female partnership, and female freedom. They were extremely modern texts written to into inside already inside Ukrainian literature. She switched languages under influence of some prominent female uh, character, female female um, doctors and educated people, all these Ukrainian-speaking elite of that time. So Ukrainian was a language of choice for her. And uh, if you look at what she was writing about, she was writing about strong women and more specifically about free women, women who refuse this traditional way of living, marrying and having children. Uh, she was writing about lonely women which are enjoying their liberty, a little bit in a way like Simone de Beauvoir, a couple of decades later, uh, was writing in her books. You know, this is this traditional image of a woman having a family and kids. This is a matter of choice and not a, your destiny because you were born 
woman. And Olga Kobylanska, she represents quite an interesting um, image of Ukrainian literature because this is a, a Ukrainian literature with uh, German roots, with German identity. With and German not, speaking, you want. German speaking, and, and not uh, not only the matter of language, but, but uh, Nietzsche, she's uh, quoting Nietzsche quite, an, quite a lot. I mean, Kobylanska, so this German philosophy in, the, in Nietzsche. What uh, strikes me is that in the in the generation of this what we call executed Renaissance, Chvilevi, Mykola Kulish, Yalovi, Johansen, Semenko, Zerov, Les Kurbas, we don't have women. We don't have so many women, and. Uh, um, among writers, so not 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 so high in the pantheon as as the, the male, and uh, obviously not someone who would approach Lesya Ukrainka or Olga Kobylanska from the uh, from the let's say modernist period, and this poses a question whether the Soviet Union was really emancipating women, uh, was giving the the room for women creators at the time because we're mentioning Sonia Sonia Delaunay, Alexandra Exter. Sonia Delaunay immigrated, Alexandra Exter, I think, also. Also, also she was and, studying everyone. And um, so what What has left for women? Because there is this stereotype that, look, Soviet Union made a revolution in terms of female emancipation. There's a lot of hypocrisy when we when, when we look back to, to the beginning of the Soviet regime. Because, yes, indeed, you, you might meet a, a statement that women were emancipated. And on one hand, yes, indeed, women were able to vote starting from 19. 1917, which was not the case in most European countries, for example, in France, if you compare with Simone de Beauvoir and France, which is the motherland of this feminist movement, they were French women were allowed to vote starting from 44. So the big difference. But at the same time, why I say there's a lot of hypocrisy, because on one hand, the Soviet ideology told that uh, Women and men are equal, they have equal rights, and women will be working as men on the factories and the, on the plants and whatever, so what women were really doing. But what was not uh, true, that they were also doing all the house housework at the same time, so they had this double double task, in fact, on them. And kids, they were also on women, uh, despite the appearance, uh, creation of many nurseries and schools. Still, women were responsible, also responsible for all that. So this Soviet emancipation meant for women that, that they, they were working double, twice compared to men. And yes, indeed, this is a reason why we don't have a lot of uh, women uh, in the beginning of this, in the, in the first decades of Soviet uh, Soviet time, and then the, there is this uh, great, um, <clears throat> great, the big famine and the uh, Holodomor, and then big repressions, the Red Terror, and then the Second World War, and uh, uh, many men were just exterminated. Right, many men were sent to gulags, really? primarily to gulags and then exterminated during the war and after the, after after the war during the post war years this double burden has become even 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 bigger even yeah. stronger so no very, very little number of men in the society uh, women should be working on factories and should be taking care of kids 
and yes, of, of the household. And look, for example, at a prominent painter, prominent figure of that time, Tatiana Yablonska. She was born in 1917, if I'm not mistaken. She was student during studies in Kiev, here in Kiev. And then during the big war, during the Second World War, she was evacuated with her family somewhere to the east. And then after the war, she came back here to Kiev, where she lived all her life until 2005. At least she, she was still um, uh, alive during the Orange Revolution. And Tatiana Yablonska, she painted a very famous picture, uh, if I'm not mistaken, dated 47 or 49 about uh, about Ukrainian peasants. Which is called chlip, uh, right? yes. Bread. Bread. And you only see female figure, f- female bodies, female... In the fields, uh, yeah. taking the harvest, taking collecting the harvest. the harvest. And this is a very famous uh, painting in, in a way. And she was also... She, she received Stalin's... Uh, Price. Price, Heroi, Heroi Truda, if I'm not mistaken, for that Stalinist Price. No, no, it was Stal- Stalinska Premia. Sta- Stalinist Price. Yeah. So, state price for that, for that painting. By the way, she, late in her life, she received uh, another Ukrainian prize, state price in 90s, uh, for, for the whole of her creative work. She was talking about strong, she, she left a book of, uh, memoirs and she where she was writing about these extremely difficult years and about the women who were alone after the war because a lot of men were killed in this war and other men were persecuted were sent to Siberia and this was about 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 women as the driving force of the Ukrainian society at the time and Indeed, herself, she was an extremely strong personality who enjoyed art, enjoyed freedom. She was a rebellious, rebellion, rebellious person during her study years in, in the institute. She was not afraid to say uh, quite not, quite uh, quite uh, risky things to to the people who were present in the academy and the institute. So, just another female figure, right? A survivor. Yeah, and uh, Tatiana Yablonska shows us that um, socialist art, some of the pieces of socialist art, uh, so socialist uh, realism, socialism can be real art. It was rather an exception, but you, you could have um, shadows in, in the socialist realism art. Look at this fantastic picture painting, uh, Hlip, look at some other I think there was a very famous uh, painting which is called uh, Utra, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the morning. Morning. And so this is really very, very, very interesting uh, and not at all avant-garde. So <laughs> a Western viewer would be very surprised to see a very figurative painting. But uh, I think this is very interesting. This is very interesting. She was seduced by Ukrainian art back in the 60s. She was close to all these uh, Ukrainian uh, networks and she was illustrating a book uh, uh, of Dzuba, so Ukrainian poet. And uh, she was fond of uh, Shevchenko at that very time uh, until it was permitted by, by, Soviet, uh, by Soviets. Uh, so she was fond. And in her late, late periods, she became... Uh, much more mystical in her. She was not, not at all realistic. She she lived through a long life, really, and her last uh, paintings are also very interesting, but not at all these realistics. So 
some people like Yablonska, they show that, yes, uh, there was some room for, for women uh, in Soviet culture, yet indeed it was kind of exception. Another figure, Kira Muratova. Kira Muratova, we know her as a Soviet Soviet uh, filmmaker. Uh, she was Romanian. Uh, her father was Russian, if I'm not mistaken. Her mother was Romanian, but she was a Soviet uh, filmmaker. And But she lived uh, uh, almost all her life in Odessa since her uh, she, since uh, the time she was studying there. Kira Muratova, a very uh, talented, extremely talented filmmaker. She introduced a new style of uh, making films and she filmed the people who are not real actors and you can easily recognize her her, her, her films from its uh, very different style of, of doing what she was doing. So she was also Ukrainian filmmaker in a way, even if ethnically she was not Ukrainian, but she, by the way, back in 2014, she she was still alive. She 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 died uh, in two thousand eighteen eighteen. So uh, and she supported Ukraine after the annexation of Crimea and after this first aggression of Russia in Donbas. Uh, if you know Ukrainian, if you learn Ukrainian, maybe uh, you can hear more about these figures: Lesya Ukrainka, Markovovchok, Kira Muratova, Tetyana Yablonska, Sonia Delone. In our podcast in Ukrainian, which is called Kult Podcast, and there is a, a cycle, a series that we've made about 10 uh, different Ukrainian authors, which is called Ukrainsky Kult, Ukrainian Cult. So, yeah, lots of, lots of interesting stories. So, the generation of the 60s also played an important role, and, and, and women played in this generation of Shizdesyatniki a very important role including, for example, in the Helsinki groups and such, also such artists as Ala Horska. What else we can say about this period? Yes, Ala Horska, but Lina Kostenka as well. She she's still alive, and this is a uh, this is a writer we were studying when we were school children, right? So the texts were studying in back in school, and she's still writing. She's ninety something now and still active, and she's writing novel novel. She write one novel and maybe she's writing something else now. So Lina Kostenka, living classic now. So yes, indeed. And then the next generation with Salomia Pavlichka and a little bit later um, Vira Geva and... Uh, um, and uh, These are scholars. Vira Geva is not a writer, she's a scholar. scholar. And Salomia Pavlichka as well. Yes, scholars, scholars. But there were women who, and Oksana Zabushka, yes, a writer, uh, all this generation in their 60s now, they introduced a new um, vision, new optics on, on the female history. Because, yes, indeed, as you stated in the beginning, there were starring women and Ukrainian women that were in this double double perspective of emancipation and they they were giving voice to all these um, number of generations of Ukrainian women who were active and successful in the Ukrainian uh, uh, culture and Ukrainian history. So now we arrive, I also would say that uh, these became, they were pioneers in a way, this after Soviet time, Viragieva, Zabushka and all these other women, they were pioneers in this re-evaluation of the role of women in, in the history. But now what we see with new generation of women active, we see that this is not because, this is no more a minor point of view, no more a minor and so-called network. 
this is extremely widespread. And I would say that the events of 2014 gave a new boom to these female studies. We know already people, women who are younger than we are, who are active in this field, they're founding a publishing houses um, dedicated to women and all this stuff. So I would say that these processes of emancipation of the society from empire and emancipation of women, they come along in a way. Yeah. So this is something... L- we let's talk like. about some of the figures, at least in literature. Oksana Zabushka is, of course, one of the biggest figures in this in this line, and she is both a writer, a prose writer and poetry writer, but also a philosopher. And uh, I think her philosophical texts or texts about history of literature like her, um, books about... Uh, Franko, Shevchenko, Lesya Ukrenka, especially Lesya Ukrenka, which is called Notre Dame d'Ukraine. I think it is very, very strong, very interesting, uh, as well as, of course, her her writings, her fiction writings. So she's a very uh, known and uh, visible figure in the Ukrainian public discourse. Whom else? What, who are in the younger generation? female writers. We have, for example, so, uh, Sofia Andruhovich. Uh, she's the daughter of Yuri Andruhovich, another famous Ukrainian writer. And I think that her novels, for example, the latest one, the big, big novel in terms of scope, but also in terms of influence on Ukrainian literature, Amadoka, is is, is very, very, very strong. It's, it's a combination of reflection about contemporary current war, but also about the Holocaust, about the uh, 20th century, right? There is also Tanya Malarchuk, who is very active in Germany, a Ukrainian writer um, and um, and culture um, activist, we, we might say, uh, also our friend. Uh, there is Katerina Kalitko, which is a very interesting poet uh, and prose writer you know, who, who is living in Vinnytsia. Um, who else? There, there are an interesting, very interesting combination of writing and uh, film directing in uh, Ira Tilik, in Irina Tilik. Uh, for example, her film, which is called uh, The Earth is Blue as an Orange, has won, I think, dozens of prizes worldwide, in, including Sundance uh, Film Festival. Uh, so she started as a writer, and now she's also a filmmaker, both documentary and uh, and non-documentary. And yes, and the film in, in itself is really interesting, so we really advise you to watch it, because this tells the story of Donbass uh, between 2014 and 2022. So this is a story of a family, so it's a documentary film, and this is about family where on the front lines, so there are many kids, and they one of the kids, a teenager, she dreams to become a filmmaker, and so Ira, she she films a film about a future filmmaker, extremes of film and a film so extremely good, done this um, good good this interesting film. Uh, by the way, another filmmaker, we have just a, a big number of female filmmakers now. I would also mention. Uh, Alisa Kovalenko, 
which is a which is a filmmaker. She started with a film about the war back in 2014 or 15, and then she continued with the film about uh, female football. Extremely interesting story about female football. What do we know about female football in Ukraine? So this is also interesting. And another filmmaker, Nadia Parfan. Nadia Parfan in her thirties, very interesting filmmaker. Uh, she um, created a film about, called Spivai Ivana Frankisk Tepl Kumun Energo, how you translate it into English. So this is about a film about uh, about um, about the community and about art. How people who are uh, who are busy in the heating systems of Ivana Frankivsk heating system, you know how, how you heat your houses, how they create this emetro hor. So they, they sing together uh, on weekends. And this is a documentary film. So she's filming this uh, team for many uh, weeks and even months and extremely uh, talented uh, film. And she's now presenting, Nadia Parfan now presented, already presented her film about the war. Uh, it's, the title of the film is, this is not a film about the war, about the war. So it's her kind of diary, her own diary about this war. Not about battles, but about how people, how civilians, they cross this, they live this experience of the war. And we can also mention people of culture who are on the front line. For example, our friend Yarina Chernohus. Uh, she's a poet. She's now um, publishing her new book of poetry and she's on the front line, really participating in, in the battles uh, a young Ukrainian female writer. So, and there are some other figures of, of this kind as well. Alisa uh, uh, Kovalenka that you mentioned also went to the front line for some time. Now she came back and uh, finalizing her film. So, of course, this is a very sh short number, short list of, of female uh, writers and filmmakers and artists in the Ukrainian culture. It's very difficult to summarize everything in 40 minutes, but at least you have an idea how strong and vibrant uh, female writers, female creators have been in the Ukrainian culture and are in Ukrainian culture. Maybe the last point is that, of course, in music, in contemporary music, they are very present. Uh, Dacha Bracha, um, there are f three females uh, out of four, uh, actually, participants of the group. There is Onuka, there is um, Go A uh, with uh, with female uh, singer. There is, of course, Jamala, uh, Kirimli singer, Crimean Tatar singer. There are so many others, right? Yeah, uh, they're also present in music, yeah. So this was our podcast, um, and um, I hope we discovered something for you. We we forgot to tell uh, to to mention, of course, our good friend Mariana Sadovska, who is a for fantastic sure. uh, folk musician and folk singer. So you can see really that. Uh, check her uh, also. Uh, her songs on, on YouTube and her projects right now about Babin Yar, about Holocaust in Kiev, about uh, Holodomor. So it's, it's, it's also an art which is very active in civically and politically. Okay, so this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. 
My name is Vladimir Yermolenko. I am chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, who is um, Ukrainian scholar and journalist and director of international department at Kyiv uh, Ukraine Crisis Ukraine Media Center. Sorry. Uh, you can support us on patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We devote majority of your assistance to help people affected by this war and to help Ukrainian defenders. Patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Thank you.